I'd encourage you to take your Bible and turn to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis is the book of origins, and we've looked at the origin of of everything, the, the universe, the physical universe that has come into being, that God has called into being. And we've looked uh, at the, the spiritual universe as well, and the origin of the, the spiritual universe, and now we're looking at the origin of sin. Origin of sin, Genesis chapter 3. That should come to mind when you think of Genesis chapter 3. It's the where sin entered into this universe. I'm going to be reading, beginning to read in verse 8. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself and he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I've commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to me with gave to be with me. She gave me from the tree and I ate. The Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for our time together. Uh, thank you for this word, for informing us of this, uh, how sin has come into this world and the effect of that sin has on us, even to this very day, Lord. I pray that we would learn things from this passage that would be implemented into our life that we can glean from and and then live a life that's glorifying and honoring to you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In Scripture, what we find is uh, there are negative examples and there are good examples. Um, Negative examples to be avoided, warnings that we, we see. But there's a lot of good examples, and those are the ones that we most likely know. Because we have to see, we have to see righteous life lived out. Christ is a perfect example of that. He's a a perfect example. He's He's a good role model because we see a godly life that is lived out. Peter. Peter was a, a good man. He was a, a righteous man. We see a good example in Peter, but but not always, right? There, there are some negative things in Peter's life to, to be avoided. Paul said it this way. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. <laughs> Paul recognizes he, he doesn't have his life all together. So as I follow Christ, then you follow me. And there's that's discipleship. And we need that. We, we need that, that example set before us. That positive example, Daniel and David and and Moses and Abraham, we need to see that. Sometimes we need to see the negative examples too. What not to do, because it it forces us to look at our own sinfulness. And and sometimes we don't want to do that. But it forces us to, to see these things. Sometimes that's the best 
way to spiritually grow is for us to be exposed to our sinfulness, be exposed to that light of the word of God so that so that we can see that so that there can be some cleansing in our life. It has to it has to be revealed. We have to re, the truth needs to be revealed so that we can take action. So we can see what we're really like. But the tendency, our tendency is to, to not want to see that. We don't want to see what we're really like. But in this passage, we see a negative example. And it comes from the most unlikely of, of places, our, our parents. From, from Adam and Eve, they had just rebelled against God. They, uh, they were guilty of treason. Against the God of the universe, they knew it. They they knew they were wrong. Shame and fear uh, immediately swept into their life, and they tried to clothe themselves with tree leaves, completely inadequate. And so sin ex- explodes onto the to the landscape, into God's perfect world, and it has a devastating effect. And we looked at this last week. But just by way of review, it affected them personally. Immediately, like I said, they, they knew they had violated God's commandment. Fear swept in. Shame swept in. Because their conscience was convicted. And, and they went from uh, innocence to, to guilt. And they were feeling the weight of that guilt. And every part of their life was affected because of that. Their mentality, their mindset, their emotions, their, their the physical uh, life. They, they died spiritually that day and they begin to die physically that day. And ultimately they would die uh, spiritually or they would die eternally if God didn't intervene right here at this moment. God intervenes into their life. So that affected them personally, but it also affected their marriage as a as a couple. They move from trust to distrust. Trust was display this place by distrust and the very thing, the very commandment of God, their mandate to multiply and fill the earth was twisted and and now um, turned to something that's negative, something that's dirty. And then number three, the human race was affected. The whole human race, Adam being the head of the human race, he is he transferred that sinful nature to every one of his descendants because we're all descendants of Adam and Eve. So now we all have a sinful nature. We all see our sinfulness. Every person now... Has this sinful nature. I like the way John MacArthur put it. He said that a person is a sinner before they have the opportunity to sin. Because that sin nature was was uh, born with them. So we have a sin nature. We can thank Adam for that. And then also we lost the the dominion that we once had. We had dominion over this earth that God had placed us in. And then we just handed those keys over to Satan himself. And now the, the, the whole creation groans under the sinful weight of, of that sinfulness. So Adam and Eve's willing, or willful decision uh, created a state of rebellion. 
a state of rebellion of the creation against the Creator. And we call this the fall. Because man failed from that place of privilege, that place of, of honor, down to being the very enemy of God, to, to the base level of fighting against God. But we also fell from the glory of God. God had created us for glory, and we fell short of that glory. And so now we are... We're in a fallen state. Now things are, are different. We would come before the Lord just in humility as a, as a creature. But now we have to come before Him in repentance because we are in a state of rebellion against Him and we are, we are offending Him just by our very being. And that's sobering to us. That's sobering. Adam and Eve should have run to God. They should have prostrated themselves before God and repented and and pled for forgiveness and pled for mercy. But because of this sin nature, sin causes us to do the very opposite many times of what we should do. It causes us to do the very opposite of what we should do. It causes us to hide from God. It causes us to, to not want to see our sinfulness. It causes us to, to, to shift the blame over to somebody else. It causes us to blame and deflect to the circumstances of our life as opposed to taking the full blame of sin on ourselves. And it's a reaction because of a sinful nature that resides now in us all. Now here's the, here's the point. When we recognize our sinfulness, when we face that depravity of the the human heart, our own heart, and we we face it with a, a broken and contrite spirit, when we face it with repentance, then and only then can we then come before the Lord and... And stand before God. And we can only do that because of the blood of Jesus Christ. He has, he has prepared a way for us to, our sin, for our sins to be forgiven, for us to be able to stand before the Lord. And that's the only way we can come. We come before Him broken, repentant before Him. So the question then for all of us, for me and for you as individuals, how do you handle your sin? <laughs> How do we handle our sin? How do we respond to those sins? Whether we, we it's a public skin or, or just a, a private sin, even in our own heart, how do we handle that? Eve was tempted by Satan, the serpent. She ate from the tree. She gave to her husband. And now we begin to see the, the story unfold here again in verse 8. There's four principles I think that are important for us to see. Four Four components, if you will, to Adam and Eve's reaction to their sinfulness. And it's a negative reaction. It's something that we learn from, from not doing. We, we learn this is not the way to do it. But we see the way they did it. And, and it's really just a reaction of the, it's a typical reaction of the sinful nature. We see that same tendencies in our life because it was first in their life. And because that's the way the effect of sin is. That's just what it does in a state of disobedience to God. So, first we see the setting. The setting in verse 8. And we see a visit from God. Now, look at verse 8. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife ran to God and asked for forgiveness. No, 
No, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Like that's going to do anything. But they hid themselves. Now, God appears to them. We don't know what form. I don't know how that took it in the in the new in the Old Testament. We see he come in a pillar of cloud or he came in a pillar of light, uh, maybe some uh, Shekinah glory. But it, it could have just been in a, a theophany when God takes on a, a human body and, and comes and, and walks maybe with Adam and Eve. This sounds like it would be a typical thing. At the end of the day, in the cool of the evening, Adam would finish with his work and, uh, and God would come down. It would be a beautiful thing because they had a good relationship. And Adam would say, hey, did you see what I did over here? Oh, yeah, that was, that was great. What do you think about this? And, and maybe get advice from God and just that communion, just that relationship. But sin changes everything. Changed it. Instead of having a close, intimate relationship, then... They hide from God. It's like when you're watching a movie you shouldn't be watching and the doorbell rings. Oh no, caught. Turn the TV off. Or you're listening to music that's not godly and, and, and you, uh, somebody comes into the room or you're looking at something on your phone you shouldn't be looking at. You put the phone down. There's a, a panic there. There's a twinge of guilt a twinge of, of guilt. The, the conscience is convicted. God's here. So there's panic in their life. And you think, oh, perfect timing. Just We just sinned and now God's here. Oh. And the reaction. This is a reaction. And they're gripped with this sense of, of, um, of uh, pollution in their own life. Guilt in their own life. And shame and fear. They don't even want to face God. Their conscience is convicting them to the point that they want to pull away. They, they want to hide from this relationship that used to be so precious and so good in the cool of the day to walk with God. But now they don't want to face God. They don't want to see God. They want to hide. And it's because their conscience is pricked. <clears throat> Can you hide from God? No. That's elementary. Everybody knows you can't hide from God anyway, especially among just the trees. That's not going to do anything. And God knows every sin that we commit. Be sure your sins will find you out. God, God seeks after them to restore that relationship. Sin needs to be dealt with. It needs to be uh, discovered and and uh, and and faced. And that's what He's wanting to do. He wants them to face their sin. It needs to be, it, it, there's a, a purifying effect when their light is shown on their sin. It's like the sun on, on mold or, or chemotherapy or chemo on cancer cells. Like antibiotics on, on infection. There's a cleansing effect. And that's what needs to happen. They need this relationship with God. So God is searching them out. And this needs to take place instead of them hiding but sin, again, causes us to do just the opposite of what we should do. But I want you to notice it starts with that twinge of guilt. They knew. They knew, so they hid themselves. That twinge of guilt. This is by way of application, folks. We need to be thankful for that twinge.
twinge of guilt. Whether it's, cause it's designed by God, okay? Whether it's the work of the Holy Spirit convicting us, whether it's the Word of God convicting us, or even just our own conscience, we need to thank the Lord for that twinge of guilt because it pushes us to repentance toward God, true repentance. And to restore that relationship. There's no place to to hide anyway. You can't hide from God. But they, 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 they They should be thankful for that feeling of of guilt there because it gives them hope it gives them this it pushes toward forgiveness it pushes toward a cleansing so the, that's the setting i have a visit from god god is knocking on the door he's he's rung the doorbell they're hiding and we see this is not a good example number 2 we see the interrogation if you want to call it that it's by a label, verses 9 through 11, he says this, Then the Lord God called out to the man and said, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because of my nakedness, and because I was naked. So I hid myself. And here's the second question. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Number three, third question, have you eaten from the tree of which I've commanded you not to eat? He was guilt-ridden, wasn't he? And God was wanting to force them to, to see their own sinfulness. He, he asked three questions. Where are you? It's an invitation. Come on, I'm here. It's an invitation. God knows their location. He wasn't trying to find out where they, their location was, but it was... It was a, an, an invitation. Come and confess, if you will. And explain why you're hiding. He's giving them an opportunity to confess before them. But then he pointedly asked the question, Who told you that you were naked? He prods them to confess. Adam's guilt was, was seen. It was, it was suspicious when he, when he hid but then when he, he said, oh, I knew I was naked, that it was just completely uh, obvious then that he was aware of his sinfulness. And then just not wanting to face God. All of those things exposed his guilt. And God, in, in his question, in his probing about their life, he was pushing them to confess their sinfulness, to, to make it right. But again, the sin nature doesn't want to do that. Sin doesn't want to face up. Sin doesn't want to face the reality. God was forcing them. God had to, to kind of push them. When I was growing up, that you know, we were we were taught you're trying to house train a dog or a cat or, or one of those animals. You, they do their business in the house. You kind of rub their face in it, right? Rub their nose in it. They don't want to do that anymore. Now I know, I know. Today you get. Probably put in jail for doing that kind of stuff. That's what God's doing here. Look at this. Look. Look at this. Look closely. Kind of rubbing their nose in it. Sometimes we don't want to face our sin so much so that, that God has to push us. Look how sinful this is. He has to be challenged. There has to be questions. There has to be probing. And, and God did the same thing with Cain. Cain, where's your brother? God did the same thing with, with Job. 
Have you, have you done this, Job? Have you done this? Job had to examine his own life. Samuel had to do it with Saul. Saul. The prophet Nathan had to do it to David. For, for David to face his own sinfulness. Peter. Peter had to be convicted when he looks across the courtyard and sees Christ. He catches Christ's eye and instantly he was convicted. It was, it was those, Christ was just screaming out, Peter, look what you're doing. And Peter then has to turn around and face Ananias and Sapphira. And he has to ask the question, oh, is, this the, is this the amount of money that you, you sold your house for? Force them to look at their sinfulness. That's what's going on here. We like to think that we're good people. And we are good people when you compare yourself with people. But, but man is not the standard of good. God is the standard of good. We must live up to His standards, His expectations. It's His holiness. And parents, this is what we have to do as parents. Sometimes we have to force our children to look. Look at their sinfulness. And once we see, we could take action when we look at their sinfulness. Not just the external sinfulness, but the sinfulness of their own heart. And we have to do the same thing. The Bible calls us to examine the, the log, get the log out of your own eye, and then you can look at your brother's speck in his eye. You have to examine. So, so God approaches them. He, he probes and asks questions, getting them to look at their own sinfulness and look at the sinful responses now. Uh, point number three is Adam's reaction. Adam's reaction. And what we see is just blame shifting. Verse 12. The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, not... I just love that. You can see the wheels turning, the rationalization here. It wasn't the helper that you gave me. The, the, the love of my life that you gave me. It wasn't the, the, this companion that you gave me. Ah, that woman that you gave me. Distancing himself. Putting the, the blame on her. But ultimately, look what he, he does in verse 12. That woman you gave to be with me. Oh, we're just acquaintance. Oh, you know... You know, this, this woman, she gave it to me and I ate. Wow. Wow. You can see the rationalization. You can see what's going on. This isn't a confession, is it? This is, this is not asking for forgiveness. This isn't an apology at all. It might be like one of those uh, politicians' apology. Have you ever heard one of those guys get up and, and apologize? And, and at the end, you, you think, Man, was that an apology? Did they, did they repent? Did they restore any kind of relationship? Was that an apology? We look at this and we say, that's not an apology at all. And by the response, Adam and Eve both, you can see them, they're aligning themselves with Satan. Those who are rebelling against God, they're not confessing, they're, they're holding out. And What is he holding out for? That sinful nature is holding out. Maybe there's, there's a, a little bit of dignity that I can have left if I don't admit, if I hold off. Maybe he won't know how bad I really am. But when sinners, when sinners don't repent, their, their sin is left on them. That weight and that guilt is left on them. That judgment is still pronounced on them. But when they repent, it's just better for them just to repent and, and get rid of that. 
guilt. Get rid of that judgment and be freed from that with that forgiveness. But then on top of that, to Adam's shame, because of his state of sinfulness, he actually puts the responsibility on God. God, you set me up for this. It's that woman you gave me. And he blames it on Eve. And he blames it really ultimately on God. Adam compounds his sinfulness and he doesn't confess. He just shifts the blame. Oh, it's not me. Well, look at her. Isn't that childish? I mean, we see that. We used to see that in our home when our children were little. Well, he did it, especially in the car. It's always he did it. He made me do it. Um, if it wasn't for her, just childish, childish. Um, but I want you to know, just think. How casually we blame shift. How casually we put the blame on somebody else. It's amazing how we can rationalize. The the mind is such an incredible thing, but we can rationalize. We don't like to think of ourselves as sinners. Uh, I'm just the victim of somebody else's sin. They did it to me. Now, there's two elements here. We like to think of ourselves as as good, okay? So we want to maintain that goodness. But also, we don't like to say we don't like to think of ourselves as bad. <laughs> There's two elements there. Oh, I'm good and I'm not bad. There's two both. But folks, we're all little Hitlers in our heart. We are. I mean, we would kill. We would steal. We would destroy. That's just the characteristic of Satan himself. It would be better to repent. Repentance brings God's grace instead of shifting the blame on God or somebody else. Someone else. So you see Adam's response here. Number, verse 13, number 4, you see Eve's response. <clears throat> she says, Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this? You have done, and the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Now, you could see the same kind of thinking that Adam is is trying to pull off here. It wasn't my fault. I I thought I was doing the right thing. I was deceived. In in that circumstances, Satan was the one that deceived me. How many times a day, how many times a day do we blame our circumstances? How many times a day do we blame our own sinfulness just on the circumstances of our life? That sinful nature we blame on. If we can't blame others, then we blame the circumstances. We deflect the attention off of ourselves and we, we blame the circumstances around us. You don't, you don't understand. You've got it wrong. I'm the victim here. You hear saying that? <laughs> that's, what, that's what's going on. But folks, every day we do the same thing. Uh, personal decisions that I make, I blame it on the circumstances. It's the alarm clock. It's 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 the it's the it's just the the poor health. It's not the eating, overeating. It's the poor health. It's not the the laziness. It's just the the weakness of my body. We blame shift. 
It's not the lack of study. No, it's just the busy schedule. It's the traffic. It's the job. It's the, and you can throw in anything you want, but it's usually having to do with circumstances. Because we like to take the, the blame and put it on the circumstances. It's, it's, we're not so bad. And we just skirt the issue. And none of this is true repentance. In fact, it's a terrible example. Hiding and not facing our sinfulness and, and blaming others and blaming the circumstances. That's exactly what you see here. And it's all wrong. It's all wrong. It doesn't fix the problem. It doesn't restore the relationship with God. It's not repentance. It's not true repentance. And repentance is always, always, always the issue. Coming back to less understanding of repentance. So we have to say, what is repentance? What is repentance? What does it mean? <clears throat> and I want to give you just a quick uh, summary of re- repentance, just based upon the words that we find in Scripture. There's Four words that I'll, I'll look at. Two words in the Old Testament, two words in the New Testament. Very similar words. Nakam is the first word here. And, it, and it's, it's communicating just the emotional components of repentance. Because that's what we see is the emotional element of, con, of repentance. And it's, it's to be sorry or, or, or sorrowful and, and grieve and regret. It's, it's to mourn. It's, the word actually means to breathe deep. It's a, a sigh, a sigh of sorrow, a sigh of grief. That's, that's the idea here. And it's used throughout the Old Testament. A sigh of, of mourning. And the idea is, is feeling that, that sigh of hopelessness over our sinfulness. And that's where you have the two words come together here. You have the, the grief, the emotional element, and then you have uh, the repentance coming together and the, just facing the reality of our own sinfulness and we grieve. We're shameful. We breathe a sigh and say, oh Lord. And you see that same idea in Romans chapter 7 where Paul just says, he just throws up his hands and, and he says, oh Lord, spare me from this wicked body, from this body that I am. Christ called it being poor in spirit. I like that. Being broken. Shame and, and humiliation. Those are elements here. The second word is shove. You can see it on the, the screen there. And the key, this is a key word and it's to turn. It, it's going this direction and then turning the other way. Or, or maybe to return. It's turning from evil and turning to good. It, it's more than just Turning one direction, it's turning from something to something else. Turning the opposite, it's 180 degrees. Okay, going this direction, and you turn and go this direction. Now they're mutually exclusive here, right? You can't be going this direction and go that direction. You, you can't. You can't do that. It's mutually exclusive. Um, <clears throat> That's not repentance. That's just grief. And, and uh, Clifton read about it in that passage. It's a, it's a worldly grief. It's a worldly sorrow. It doesn't produce re- real repentance in anyone's life. It's, it's just a regret. I wish I had never been caught. That's the idea. And that's a false kind of, that's a false kind of repentance. No, this is a, a turning from sin. Turning to God. It's a turning from idolatry. Turning to worship the true and living God. The third word is. Malema. Malema. My. 
Malimomai. If you can think you can pronounce it better, you go ahead and try. It just means regret. This is a New Testament Greek word. It, it means regret. It means uh, remorse. And it's the same idea as the, the Old Testament word. And it, uh, it, it expresses that emotion of, of grief over our sinfulness. And then you have epistropho. And, and this is, a, this is a, again, the key word. And it's, this is a change of direction of life. And all of these words basically saying the same thing. There's a grief. There's a, a sorrow that causes us, that forces us to, uh, to have a transformed will, a changed mind. So that the starts from the heart and it goes into a, a certain direction, a change of direction, going from this direction to that direction. And so you see on the screen here, all the elements here of repentance, true repentance. It starts with conviction in the heart. It has to be conviction. Sometimes it may be a probing question and the heart's convicted. And then there's shame and remorse and sorrow of that sin. And, and then there's a, a change in the thinking. I cannot live this way. And there's a transform of a, a transforming of the will and so you move and, and you change direction. Number four, you change the direction of your life from un- unrighteousness to righteousness. And it's always from sin unto God. That's true repentance. And you don't see that with Adam and Eve. You don't see that here at all. <clears throat> now, let me just fill this out a little bit because repentance is key. Repentance is, is necessary for salvation, folks. Whether it's forced or whatever, we have to face our sinfulness and we have to repent before God before we can be saved. We have to come to God on that footing. That's the only way that we can approach a righteous and holy God because we are in the state of rebellion against Him. So we have to repent first. It's the first of priority. John the Baptist, he said, repent Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. God is coming. We need to repent of our sinfulness and prepare ourselves for Him. And folks, the only way we can do that is because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Christ dying on the cross, He has prepared this way that God in in fact and in genuineness can, can forgive sin. So we can't approach God at all Standing in our in this state of sin that we are in, we could come before Him maybe as creatures, but we would have to come with Him even at that just humility. But now we have to come to Him in repentance, repentance, because we are in a state because of our sinful nature. We are in a state of sinful rebellion against Him. Another thing that you need to know about repentance here is and this is wonderful news that repentance is a grace of God repentance I'm sorry is a gift from God just like faith it's a gift from God second Timothy chapter 2 verse 25 we can look that up and we would see that God is the one who grants repentance he gives repentance just like he works in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 that faith even faith is a gift from God not as a result of works, lest any man should boast. It's a gift from God. So is repentance. There are two sides of the same coin. It's turning from, from our sinful state in faith to God that He is the one that's going to save us. So you see, 
both sides of the same coin there. There's one other element of forgiveness or of uh, repentance that you, you have to see. There's always fruit of repentance. When there's genuine repentance, there's what the Bible calls fruit of that repentance. There's evidence of a changed heart. Changed heart as in going a, a different direction. It always it starts in the heart, but it winds up in the and going in the right direction. It winds up in the actions, in the actions of people. That's, re, that's true repentance. Adam and Eve, negative example. We look at that and we, we learn some things. We learn some things about our, our, our own heart. Because we all respond that way. Right? We, we try to hide, try to cover it up. And, and then, we, then we try to, to, to blame shift. And we have to be forced to, to look at our sin. And our nose has to be rubbed in. And we, we look at ourselves and say, Oh God, how wicked we really are. And then we, then we come before the Lord pleading for mercy from the Lord and we find Him there gracious and ready to forgive. And we recognize our sinfulness and face the depravity of our own heart. Then and only then we can stand before God. And it's only because of the grace of God and, and His work in redeeming men through Christ's work. Now just think back. Think back the last time that that you recognize your own sinfulness. That twinge of guilt. You recognize that sinfulness. It doesn't have to be a public thing. No, no just a, a secret sin. And that you know that God knows. And how did you respond? How did you respond? Even if it's just between you and, and God. Not, not a public thing. Did you compound that sin? By, by just ignoring it? By, by pretending it didn't exist? Did you... Did you, how did you respond? Did you blame, in your mind, blame somebody else? Oh, if it wasn't for that person, then I would have been fine. Or blame the circumstance? Oh, if it wasn't for the circumstance, I would have been fine. Folks, we will never be cleansed before the Lord until we come confessing our sinfulness before Him. Let me share with you one verse. Just in closing, this is a, these are bad examples. Adam and Eve are bad examples that we need to learn from. We see in the New Testament. This isn't, I know this isn't new to you, but maybe it's refreshing to hear these things. Let me just remind you, and here's the good news, and we need good news, don't we? When we look at, when we look at our own sinfulness, we need the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. First John chapter one, let me remind you of these things. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we live in a state of just denial, oh, we don't have any sin, and that's not me, it's somebody else. If we live in that state, the truth is not in us. That's a scary fact. But, but, verse 9, if we confess, and this is an ongoing thing, if we constantly, continually confess before our Lord, the sin, confess our sin, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sin and to, what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's comforting. That's good news. We come before Him Pleading before the Lord just for mercy, not blame shifting, not trying to hide, just saying, this is, this is me and all of my ugliness. This is me and all of my wickedness. 
And the Lord says, you know, you confess that sin. I come, be, I come and I, I cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Even the sins that we don't even recognize. And that's good news. That, that sin that has been lifted by forgiveness. It's no longer on our shoulders. That judgment is, is off our shoulders and we live free. And our conscience is not weighed down. Because we have forgiveness from our Heavenly Father. What a comforting thought. Learn from the negative examples. And see in Scripture what true repentance is. And also forgiveness from God. A gracious God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you. Thank you for this time in your word. What a precious time. But Lord, informing time. Lord, may we not respond like Adam and Eve, but may we respond in truth. May we respond in the spirit of true repentance. Lord, help us to examine our own life. Examine our life before you. And Lord, may we respond appropriately, not out of a, a sinful nature, but out of a new nature, a new heart. We thank you for your work in our life, for repentance, for granting us the faith even to believe. We thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.